This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com slash star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, 7 months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. This week, we welcome the first official day of fall on Thursday, September 22nd. To celebrate, I've invited a very special guest who will be with us for two weeks to discuss a very important topic, kidney disease. It's an area we have yet to cover in detail, and I'm especially happy to welcome Dr. Bob Benz. This week, we'll talk about the function of our kidneys, symptoms and signs, and causes of the most common kidney diseases. Next week, we'll discuss kidney disease in later stages and when it's time to move on to dialysis or kidney transplants. Dr. Robert Benz, Professor of Medicine at the Sydney Kimmel Medical College of Thomas Jefferson University and at the Lankanal Institute of Medical Research. He's held several leadership positions at Lankanal and across the mainline health system, including Chief of Division of Nephrology of Mainline Health for over 26 years. He's the past president of the Lankanal Hospital Medical Staff, recognized for his extensive research, for instance, the Blue Ribbon Award from the American Society of Nephrology, multiple awards for outstanding teaching skills, again, at Mainline Health and nationally, honored by the National Kidney Foundation for Excellence in Clinical Care and recognized by the American Society of Nephrology. He's been a board member of the ACGMA, and that's teachers of teachers in our world, the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. They set the standards for teaching residents across the country and not to mention 21 years as a top doc in Philadelphia Magazine. It is my honor and privilege to welcome my colleague and friend, Dr. Bob Benz. Thank you, Marianne. It's my pleasure, actually, as one of the best doctors I know in the region. I really uh, have appreciated knowing you and and all our interactions together. Well, in interest of full disclosure, when I was a little teeny student at Jefferson, I was going to be a hand surgeon. That was it. That was my destiny. I loved the whole idea. And then as students, we spent time in different fields and I was internal medicine at Lankanaw and there was this sharp as attack intern. And I said, I want to be just like him. And it was Dr. Bobby Benz. 
Now, Bob, while we're at it, I can't give you the crown to be king of England, but by the, the authority invested in me, I can crown you as the king of kidneys. Will that do? Well, that's a heavy is the head that wears <laughs> the crown of kidney disease. <laughs> well, and I know our listeners do want to know one last question. Do you have any relatives named Mercedes? Well, that's actually an interesting story because Mercedes Benz is not somebody's name. Uh, the actual name of the cars is Daimler and Benz, but Daimler decided rather than use his name that he would name his part after his daughter, Mercedes. So it's Mercedes Daimler and yeah. Cute. Fun facts that will get you nothing. So I guess if she wanted to buy one, she'd get a, well, but well, it might get you a discount. That's why I yes, was asking. Yes, a baby Benz. That's so we have a, a lot of ground to cover. And I think we should start with a question that um, will help people understand. A kidney specialist is called a nephrologist, or we might say they specialize in renal disease. What's the difference between a nephrologist and a urologist? So, uh, so two different questions are all addressed. Uh, the difference between a nephrologist and a urologist is that a urologist is a surgically trained physician who actually operates on the kidneys or urinary tract. Uh, a nephrologist, such as myself, is trained in internal medicine and then does a fellowship of subspecialization in the medical management and diagnosis of kidney-related diseases. Now, the reason that we're sometimes referred to nephrologists or kidney doctors or renologists or renal doctors is that those three words come from different variations, nephros being Greek, um, renal being Latin, and kidney being English. Gotcha. So before we talk about the function of many functions of the kidneys, people would like to know where their kidneys are located and how does urine, we know that the kidneys filter our blood and remove waste and lots of other functions, but the urine is first made in the kidneys. How does it travel to the bladder so that we can send it out? Okay. So what actually, we have to start with the heart actually. So the heart, as you know, pumps about 60 to 80 times per minute and 20% of the blood that comes out of each heartbeat is designated to go through the kidneys and be filtered out there. So the blood goes through there and the water component of blood, um, which is about 60% of blood has salt and water and what we call water soluble waste products. That is things that dissolve in water usually nitrogen-based, that are in the blood. And as the blood goes through the kidneys, there's a million little filtering units called glomeruli or nephrons in each kidney. The urine is sort of strained out of the uh, blood component. Some of it is reabsorbed and, uh, and basically fine-tuned as to how much needs to actually be filtered and how much you need to hold on to. And then that's the urine, or as we like to call it, golden ultrafiltrate. But the golden ultrafiltrate <laughs> or urine then drains from the kidneys down two little tubes 
They're like small straw-like structures called ureters, and they drain down there by two different ways. One is by gravity, and the other is actually peristalsis. Now, as a well-renowned gastroenterologist, Marianne, you understand <laughs> and your uh, and your uh, following that peristalsis is the pushing of food uh, down through the system, in this case, the gastrointestinal system, by uh, electrical and muscle function. And the same is actually true of the ureters. While things drain down there, even when you're upside down or lying flat, you're making urine that passes down into the bladder, which is at the bottom of the ureters, by uh, peristalsis as well. In fact, it's that peristalsis that gives you pain when you get something like a kidney stone or a clot in the ureters because the ureter keeps trying to pump or push past the obstruction and that backs everything up and gives you pain. Mm -hmm. So those tubules are muscular and they're contracting, trying to bench press that stone through and that's what you feel. So your kidneys are, it, I guess, above your waist. If you put your hands on your back on either side, yes. uh, inside the lower part of your rib cage, and then those tubules meet, uh, come straight down on the left and right and meet the bladder. So it's safe to say, Bob, that our blood has red cells and white cells, and then there's a fluid component. And the part of the blood that goes through the kidneys is filtered. So it helps eliminate waste. Um, the kidneys also metabolize certain drugs that we'll talk about. And I guess in essence too, they regulate our fluid balance. If you're dehydrated, your kidneys say, hey, hold on to some of that salt. And right. Or if your blood pressure is low, your kidneys yes, say, exactly. let's shoot out that hormone that makes the, the, um, uh, kidneys hold on to more fluid and they send out a hormone called renin that tells your arteries to tighten up and bump your pressure. It all works in harmony. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, in order to best think like a kidney, you need to go back evolutionarily to the fact that, that we in some form evolved from the oceans and the oceans are extremely salty, especially around the time that life started forming. And so you had this very, what we call hypertonic solution all around the cells and these small organisms. And there needed to be a way that when salt would leak into the cells to not overwhelm the cells. And so we learned evolutionarily uh, through mutations, quite frankly, that, that if you had channels within the cell that would expel the excess salt and water uh, that came into the microorganisms, uh, and then later on fish and and dinosaurs and everything else, um, that you needed a way to get out the salt, water, and waste products that you were producing yourself as an organism and that was leaking into you. In this case, the saline or salt water-like uh, environment is actually our bloodstream. So uh, I'm sure your audience is used to hearing the term, oh, they gave me a liter of saline or I got some saline given to me when I was dehydrated and went to the emergency room or, or before a procedure. And that is the same salt water. So the kidneys were initially uh, evolved to keep that balance of things coming in and things that go out. Mm -hmm. So they eliminate waste. They balance our electrolytes, sodium, potassium is another important one. Um, there's a hormone that they secrete called erythropoietin, discovered at Jefferson, of course. 
Dr. Alan Ursulev when we were students, um, that helps the bone marrow keep producing our red cells. And it also controls calcium and phosphorus. And if that balances off, it can lead to all kinds of symptoms and bony disease. So if your kidneys start to have diminished function or lose function, that makes sense why it could affect your blood pressure. It could change your fluid balance in a dangerous way. If your bone marrow isn't working, if that factory's not up to stuff, you can become anemic, right? A lot of patients with kidney disease become anemic or have anemia. Um, and I know there's just as an example, if your calcium and phosphorus balance is off or your kidneys decide they don't like calcium and they let it flow out, you can get osteoporosis pretty severely, yes? Uh, all of the above. And uh, I've been fortunate uh, also to be very involved with erythropoietin research from the beginning. And I've actually spoken all over the world on I was actually the keynote speaker at the launch of Procrit, which is the form that's given to people with chronic kidney disease. So you're correct. Most, As we'll get into, most people with chronic kidney disease will have some degree of anemia. Also uh, not well known uh, by non-doctors is that vitamin D, the active form, what's called 125-dihydroxycholecalciferol, but you can call it active vitamin D, uh, is actually produced by the kidney. So although we talk about getting enough vitamin D from the sun and milk and other sources, if you have kidney disease, you're going to have active vitamin D deficiency as well. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Bob Benz and the function of our kidneys. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com slash star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Back on your radio, Doctor. Dr. Bob Ben, so lucky that you're here with us today. We're talk- talking about the function of kidneys and how a patient might recognize that they're having uh, kidney problems. A lot of the times, there are no symptoms. We talk about symptoms, that's what a patient feels, or that's what they explain that they're feeling a headache or pain. The signs are what we find on their exams. So, what might be symptoms or signs of kidney disease? Uh, well, you're spot on again, Marianne. Most patients who uh, come to me, if they come early enough to a nephrologist, um, aren't having any symptoms. Uh, in fact, many times they don't know why they have been sent to us. And that's, uh, I usually start off uh, my uh, first new patient questions with, 
I know why you're here, but do you know why you're here? And the typical response is that my doctor found something wrong with my laboratory test results, uh, and, uh, and he told me I need to come see you. Um, so that symptoms are, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, something that developed pretty late in kidney disease. You probably have to get down to about 25% kidney function or less uh, before you start having enough symptoms that you would say, hey, um, this is not right. This is not what I uh, am usually like. And by that time, you've lost 75% of your kidney function. Uh, so the problem is, this is a, uh, as we call it, a silent killer or painless killer uh, insofar as uh, if you have a heart attack, you get chest pain. You get a stroke early on, you'll see part of your face or, or side of your body get weak. You get gastrointestinal disease and right, you might have abdominal pain. But the kidneys of chronic kidney disease is typically silent. And so it's typically picked up by blood testing by your doctor or perhaps in an emergency room where you've gone in for even some unrelated problem. And, uh, and uh, we'll, I'm sure, talk about some of the blood tests uh, that, that are typically abnormal in that. But, uh, but the symptoms of more advanced kidney disease include such things as fatigue, and that would often be due to uh, the uh, anemia that you and I just spoke about due to a lack of EPO or erythropoietin, so that the bone marrow is not cranking out uh, enough blood. Uh, typically, a blood cell lasts about 120 days, but in kidney disease, it only lasts about 30 to 60 days. So you have a more rapid turnover and you have a sluggish bone marrow response due to the lack of enough kidney tissue to tell the bone marrow to make blood and you get anemic. I just want to put one point in there, Bob, while you're talking and you, you the, the way you explain that is so clear. This is why we urge patients Go have your annual physical. You can be feeling fine or you could be a disease could be evolving in your body. But if it's slowly occurring and you adapt and you say, well, I just didn't sleep very well the other night. That's why I'm tired. You adapt to lower levels of function in whatever organ is beginning to fail. Right. And so it's so important to go and have at least your annual physical and with age go more than once a year and have those routine labs, because, as you say, how would you know, even hypertension, high blood pressure, there is no symptom that goes with that. You might say, I have a headache, but maybe the headache made your blood pressure go up, right? So it's so important to have those routines. And we talk about symptoms, as you say, fatigue or anemia, they go hand in hand sometimes. But sometimes you'll see blood in your urine or flying pain. So I guess that would help us distinguish if there's something uh, anatomically wrong with the kidney, say you're passing a kidney stone. That might uh, be a red flag. You'd see blood in the urine versus function. One is anatomy. One is uh, performance. One is physiology, function. Right. Good points. And let me just actually pick up on uh, on something that you mentioned, and that is uh, feeling, uh, feeling tired and blaming it on a poor night's sleep. Um, uh, another area of my research uh, clinically has been sleep disorders in people with chronic kidney disease. And uh, many, actually, uh, what I've published is most uh, patients with advanced chronic kidney disease have uh, at least two uh, to three sleep disorders. Uh, one is sleep apnea, which is 
not necessarily related to their body size. You know, we tend to think of people with obstructive sleep apnea as being heavy set and a thick neck. Um, my research actually shows that uh, it can be just the converse of that with kidney disease. So it's not the it's not the obesity related obstructive uh, sleep apnea. You can get central and uh, and obstructive sleep apnea. Another thing that people get is what's called PLMS, um, which is periodic limb movements of sleep, where your feet in particular have a uh, uh, have an up and down movement uh, that often disturbs the mate, uh, the bedmate, so to speak, uh, who has moved to another bed or uh, is frustrated. And so it's not that the couple isn't getting along. It's literally the person is either putting up with snoring or kicking by his or her mate. And that can be one of the uh, signs and symptoms as well. And then another thing is restless leg syndrome, uh, which uh, people with kidney disease have a higher frequency of. So even if you're having sleep uh, problems uh, and you don't have another obvious reason for it, your kidney function should be checked. Some other more advanced symptoms would be uh, sure. would be a loss of appetite um, and that you're, you may af- actually have what we call dyskusia, which is an abnormal taste where your, uh, where your, uh, your mouth or tongue tastes like a metallic or, uh, or nitrogen type of uh, ammonia type taste to it or how about just swelling swelling of the ankles if you have swelling in one leg yes you you worry about maybe blockage of vein or or lymph nodes but if it's in both feet and it gradually progresses i would think that's a pretty common finding as well yes absolutely we call that edema and that is fluid that usually starts at the feet and and may get worse in fact if you're spilling a lot of protein in the urine which is another uh associated finding with chronic kidney disease sometimes, uh, then you could be having swelling everywhere, noticeably around the eyes or in the hands. If you've got swelling there, especially in your upper extremities, it's going to be much more likely to be indicative of kidney disease because there's so many other things that can cause swelling of your, uh, of your feet. Of the feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. want to measure kidney function. You're, a patient's going to come to you Tell us how you break that down, because I know there are a few labs and and the urinalysis. Let's talk about those metrics. Right. Uh, so the most common uh, blood test that your doctor will get on you that we use to measure kidney function is called the serum creatinine. So creatinine is a waste product of our muscles. We make it every minute of the day. And it is a nitrogen waste product. So it goes into our bloodstream from our muscles uh, and then is taken through the circulation, through the kidneys. And because it's freely filtered by the kidneys, we can use certain calculations um, to tell you how much kidney function you have left. And that is called the GFR. Uh, For patients who look at their own labs, you'll see a little E in front of a capital GFR. That means estimated glomerular filtration rate. Now, as you recall, estimated, uh, mm-hmm. estimated. <clears throat> it's mm-hmm. based on a formula. And uh, the, if you recall, we uh, spoke about the fact that uh, that people have um, make urine all the time, and this is a way of telling you uh, how much kidney filtering capacity you have left. Those million nephrons or glomeruli that we talked about earlier. 
uh, is where the glomerular filtration rate or GFR is. I like to tell my patients that although the units are different, you can think of your GFR as the percent kidney function that you have left. Bob, we just talked about the metrics that you use to decide function uh, or diminishing function, blood tests, urinalysis. How do you decide what's causing the kidney disease? When do you decide to order x-rays or CAT scans um, and know which one to choose? Uh, excellent question, Marianne. Uh, so the urinalysis, uh, and let me just say, um, at least for me and I believe for probably virtually all nephrologists, patients should know that you will always be giving a blood test and a urinalysis sometime before the uh, before you actually meet with the nephrologist each time you're going to meet with him or her. Because although we can ask questions and we will examine you, the urinalysis and the blood test results are really the two most important things that are going to make us be able to tell you where your kidney status is at that point in time. Okay. Uh, okay. Now let's get back to mm -hmm. your question about imaging. Uh, and how we know what's coming from what. So one of the tests that we uh, do on all new patients, unless they've had one recently uh, before coming to see us, is uh, a kidney ultrasound. An ultrasound wave test is the same thing that pregnant women get that you look at the baby with, and it's the same thing as an echocardiogram for somebody with a heart issue. It's just a sound wave test that has no side effects. It's cheap, it's easy, it's quick, and uh, and we're looking to see whether or not somebody has actually two kidneys because one in a thousand people have only one kidney and you can get by perfectly well with one healthy kidney wow. the same way as when we transplant somebody. I, that was a question for later. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we transplant somebody, we only transplant one kidney. I'm surprised it's that uh, common is what yeah, I was going to say. One in yeah. a thousand mm -hmm. people. And they don't even know it. It's typically picked up by an ultrasound or a CAT scan that they've gone looking for some other reason, maybe diverticulitis in the case of your patients, you know, uh, or somebody after an accident. Um, and, uh, and many people mm -hmm. can be born with just one normal size kidney and one small kidney as well. Um, but, but in either case, so, uh, how do we know whether it's what we call upper tract, which is the kidneys or the lower tract, which would be more the bladders and the, uh, the bladder and the ureter, uh, or the urethra, which is the little tube that comes out from the bladder that is uh, in between basically you and the toilet, okay, the, where the, uh, final, pro where yeah. the final product is produced, uh, at least excreted. So, final so we, we have a number mm -hmm. of ways by looking at um, if somebody is spilling a lot of protein in the urine, that will tell you it's from the kidneys and not from the the bladder, for example. Uh, if somebody has uh, what we call red blood cell casts, you mentioned blood in the urine, um, the blood can be microscopic or macroscopic, meaning macroscopic or gross, as we call it, can be where you, the patient, actually sees it. And microscopic would be you wouldn't know it if we didn't tell you because we're testing it with a dipstick or we're looking under a microscope. And if you see what are called casts, which are uh, a bunch of cells that start to actually look like a long rectangle that form in the upper part of the kidney system, then, uh, then that is pretty indicative of a kidney uh, situation as the origin because that doesn't form in the bladder. Uh, but blood or white blood mm. cells themselves 
could be coming from anywhere along the track and that's where we do imaging that's where the physical exam and symptoms also come into account and sometimes by the way we never find out mm. let's take a little break and we'll be back and talk about some of those common conditions Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com slash star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And we continue our discussion on kidney function and kidney disease. Bob, we could go through the most common causes of blood in the urine and, and uh, the metrics we check in a urinalysis and labs. If a person has kidney stones, perhaps a cyst in the kidney or even a kidney cancer, you might find it, but you're going to send that patient to a urologist because it may involve lithotripsy, which is shaking the stones until they disintegrate or surgery. And that's as you say, your colleague in urology. Let's talk about what kidney disease, chronic kidney disease, how do we define that and where you go once you find it, what imaging studies you might also use. Yeah, very good, Marianne, because most people, when I have to say to them, you have chronic kidney disease or CKD, as it's called, um, they're, if, if they're not already uh, understanding what that is, their eyes sort of widen and their jaw drops a little like I have chronic kidney disease. So chronic kidney disease really just is defined as having a problem with your kidneys or kidney function for at least 90 days. Okay. When it's first coming on, uh, especially if it happens abruptly, we call that a, acute kidney injury, although it doesn't mean there's an injury to the kidneys. But once something has gone on, whether it just be protein in the uh, urine or blood in the urine, or more commonly, a rise in the creatinine value, which means that the GFR or filtering capacity is diminished, 
Once you've had that for at least 90 days, and most people who we see have had it for years, they just didn't know it, uh, but that defines chronic mm. kidney disease. And then we have five major stages or classes of chronic kidney disease, CKD, uh, and the largest of that is split into two categories. Uh, so there's actually six, but, uh, but the bottom line is that it goes from uh, stage one, which is very mild disease, to stage five, which is advanced kidney, chronic kidney disease that uh, means you're getting close to, if not actually needing, a kidney transplant or dialysis to perform the function of your body. And I know we'll talk about that in another day, uh, but those are the stages. And the most common stage that we see is actually stage three, which means you have between 30 and 60% kidney function left. But when we're talking about those kind of numbers, I think people are listening thinking, why would I be at risk for kidney disease? Certain medications can cause gradual damage to the kidneys, perhaps, or uh, maybe if somebody has a serious infection. We talk about sepsis. You have an incision or or uh, an infection, and it goes into your bloodstream. That can attack organs like the kidneys. What are the more common reasons why somebody would have a gradual decline in kidney function and especially not feel it? Right. And, uh, and this is what I end up spending most of my time going over with uh, patients, especially while you're first educating them and counseling them as to uh, what they have and the nomenclature and, and really understanding it. So uh, let's start first with aging. So just age alone is going to result in chronic kidney disease in virtually everybody. Uh, so we, we have our peak kidney function in our 20s. And thereafter, every decade, we lose about 5% of our kidney disease, excuse me, of our kidney function. If you have no problems at all, no other medical illnesses, not taking anything that can affect things. So, uh, so if you're 75 years old, then the best you can hope for really is to have 75% kidney function left or a GFR of 75 and that's important for people to know because that's where uh, you could say, hey, I'm really scared. You're saying I've lost 25% of my kidney function. But I always remind people that we don't see many 75-year-olds in the Olympics because everything else is wearing out too with time. That Age is appropriate, part, yeah. Exactly. And so we're born with more kidney tissue than we need. Same is true with our brain and our liver and everything else. And over time, we gradually use it up. The idea is for you to be able to have enough that you can function adequately. Um, and then the mm -hmm. commonest cause of chronic kidney disease superimposed on that is diabetes mellitus. And diabetes is the number one cause, uh, followed by hypertension. Uh, hypertension and diabetes are more than just elevated blood sugar and elevated blood pressure. Both diabetes and hypertension have in common that they are actually diseases of the membranes of the blood vessels. And the kidney is a very vascular organ. So it is often affected, just like the eyes are very vascular organs in the back, and they are frequently affected, just like the coronary arteries, obviously, are, are vascular organs. So uh, so those are the two commonest ones. And then genetically, the most common one would be uh, what we call polycystic kidney disease, where you have 
hundreds, if not thousands of cysts that start taking over your kidneys. And that typically happens in families that already have that gene. It's an autosomal dominant gene. So you probably have your parents or siblings who have a similar problem uh, with that. And then the common medications. Yeah. So the two commonest uh, classes of medications I really want to make sure your audience understands is, well, the first one is called NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And these are things such as ibuprofen, also known as Motrin or Advil. Aleve would be another common one. Celebrex would be another one. So these are very common. And because they're over the counter as well as uh, by prescription, people think they're safe. And what the audience needs to understand is the, the dose that's, quote, safe, unquote, is the is half the prescription strength. So you'll see that ibuprofen or Motrin is 200 milligrams. That does not mean you can take two, four, or eight of them, uh, you know, and treat them like M&Ms, like unfortunately some people do, and think that they're safe. They're a very common uh, cause of kidney damage. Now, another one that, that our gastroenterology uh, experts, such as yourself, uh, often end up having to prescribe for peptic ulcer disease or for uh, uh, longer term for GERD, uh, gastroesophageal reflux or heartburn, uh, are the proton pump inhibitors. And the proton pump inhibitors are typically things that end mm -hmm. in azole, and they were classically called the purple pills, uh, Nexium, this sort of thing. And uh, large studies now, international studies, have shown that if you take them on a chronic basis, they are also associated with a higher risk of chronic kidney disease and worsening of the chronic kidney disease if you have it. This is not true for the other class of medicines that they replaced, H2 blockers, also known as Pepsid or Famotidine. And also, if, you, if you're taking Pepsid or Famotidine, your risk is no higher than somebody who doesn't even have reflux. So it is indeed the proton pump inhibitor, not mm -hmm. just having reflux. Um, one of the other common things is, is dye. Um, if you get a study with dye in it, uh, that would be radio contrast dye um, from like a CAT scan or, uh, or as we had discussed, an angiogram. Uh, an mm -hmm. angiogram. These are things that they look right exactly, an angiogram. So these are things that look like water, but they pass through the kidneys and they can be toxic to the kidneys um, when that happens. And if you have worse kidney disease going into that, uh, dye exposure, then it means you have more dye going through each of the remaining filtering units. So if, if uh, Marianne has 90 filtering units and I only have 45% kidney function, my risk would be at least twice as high because there's twice as much dye going through my remaining filtering units. So how does the uh, radiologist protect the patient whose function is diminished? Do they dilute the dye? Do they get them less dye? Do they how do they uh, accommodate for that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So first of all, most, uh, most radiologists, uh, it should be all, hopefully it is all, but radiologists will know that if your creatinine level is elevated and you therefore have a lower GFR, they may not even give you the dye exactly. um, because of the risk. Uh, but uh, what can be done, there's no 100% way to prevent it from happening, but you can reduce the risk of what we call dye nephropathy, that's D-Y-E, dye nephropathy uh, of dye affecting the kidneys is to give 
intravenous saline or intravenous bicarbonate right before you get it. So, uh, so before you get the dye exposure, you're actually making sure that somebody's bloodstream is very full with saline. Remember, the oceans are bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, you will be filtering and using all the filtering units you can so the dye load is less per filtering unit and decreases your risk. So you're basically indirectly diluting it and flushing before the enemy comes in. Bob, I think it's so worthwhile to reemphasize that um, I I remember being so frightened back in, oh, I don't know, the 90s when, I think I could say it on the air, Prilosec, um, Nexium, all those meds were put on over-the-counter status because somebody's mm-hmm. walking around saying, boy, this heartburn is bad, and it could be angina. People take over-the-counter meds, and if it doesn't have a prescription, it's fine. I can check Dr. Google, or it made me feel better. Well, maybe coincidentally, the Prilosec made you feel better, but it was because you stopped going up and down the steps and your angina went away, et cetera, et cetera. And to be taking any kind of supplements or over-the-counter meds without uh, guidance by your healthcare provider is asking for trouble, no matter how healthy you are. So I'm glad you raised that point again. Sometimes you have to do a biopsy of the kidney to understand because somebody might have several conditions, the high blood pressure, diabetes. Somebody might have a condition like lupus that can lead to kidney disease. When is it time to do a biopsy? Um, and the other question, it might be a, a lot to answer at once. Um, in the old days, if we saw a mass in the kidney, um, I don't know, this would be nephro- you know, a nephrologist or urologist, uh, you want to sample it. It used to be a fear that if you put a needle in and it happened to be cancer, would you be dragging cancer cells through the trunk? And you know what I mean? Would you be spreading cancer? Okay. So when do we do biopsies? And if there's suspicion, do you don't, not do it? Yes. So uh, great question. And first, let me just define for your audience what a kidney biopsy consists of, because I have a he- very healthy respect for, for putting people through kidney biopsies. Um, your biopsies, as uh, as uh, Marianne mentioned, are kind of deep, and they're behind uh, or protected by the rib cage. So you uh, so when we're doing a kidney biopsy, we take a very long, thin, straw-like metal structure uh, uh, that uh, that goes through the skin after we numb it. Uh, and the uh, fat and muscle after we numb it, and deep through another layer called the fascia into the kidneys. So this needle is about, uh, oh, about seven inches long, and it needs to, uh, to pass into the kidney at least two, preferably three different times. Uh, and so uh, we do it with great respect because the kidney, as we mentioned, is a very vascular organ, and you can bleed from it. In fact, I always tell patients, unless you're from the planet Krypton, you will bleed because we're putting a needle into an organ. And then we're taking out three pieces that are about the size of a small tooth on a comb, and we're sending it to uh, three different types of microscope uh, to uh, to assess it. That takes somewhere between a couple days to a couple weeks. We do it in people whose kidney disease we don't understand yet because they are spilling a lot of protein or blood and their creatinine may be going up. We're going to take a little break and, and talk more about kidney biopsies when we come back after the break. 
Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. And we're in our final segment of Your Radio Doctor, and we call this segment Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech, the first biotech company in the country. Dr. Bob Benz, this has been a fantastic show, starting from the ground up, teaching people about kidney function and what they can look for if their kidneys are starting to become diseased or start to diminish in their function. We were talking about uh, how we uh, obtain tissue safely from a kidney. It's not an operation. You make a small incision in the skin in a person's back and we use x-ray guidance. We don't just do this blindly. Just like I, as a GI doc, we do, we used to do liver biopsies and palpate, meaning kind of press around and use certain cues, but we now use x-ray or at least ultrasound guidance. So listeners, it's much safer than it sounds. Bob, let's take a minute to explain that, and then you have other important things to tell us. Sure. So uh, the uh, kidney biopsy that I was uh, saying is a, uh, is a procedure that, uh, that will cause some bleeding from the kidneys. Uh, uh, it's typically microscopic, but, uh, but can lead to bleeding and, and even loss of a kidney if, if you happen to hit a blood vessel, even though we uh, do it under ultrasound. And many times now, it's the invasive radiologist that does the test. And, uh, and so uh, after the procedure, the uh, patient uh, uh, rests for four to six hours and then can be discharged that same day. It's usually an outpatient procedure. In terms of who we do it on, we do it when uh, not just to find out what the problem is, because it's very important these days that we understand what's called the risk-benefit ratio. That is the risk of doing something, and there is risk with a kidney biopsy, versus the benefit. So uh, so we want to know, is it likely, not that just we're going to get the diagnosis, but is it likely we're going to find something that we can treat? 
So if you have diabetes and hypertension and your kidney function is getting worse and you have a certain amount of protein in the urine that's been kind of gradual and it's consistent with those diagnoses and we send you for a, a number of other serology or blood tests and those are all negative and you have a history of diabetes affecting, let's say, your feet with neuropathy and your eyes with retinopathy and you've had laser treatments for it, it's so likely that it's due to those and that we're not going to find something to treat you with that usually we will not get the biopsy um, and just say like this is what it overwhelmingly likely is and you'd be at high risk for anything we might find to treat you with anyway. So, you know, uh, so I think most of us are pretty conservative that way, although some people may be more aggressive. So two things, as you mentioned, it's an interventional radiologist, a radiologist with very special training to do these sorts of procedures. It's not the nephrologist doing the procedure. And it's called critical thinking. That's why medicine is an art and a science. Medicine is not automated. It's not meant to be automated. It's meant to say each patient is different. Each case is individual. And that's where a master of this field like you makes those good decisions. Bob, two things I want to bring up. You and your dear wife, Marie Uberti Benz, a professor of dermatology, together started a website called medicalresearch.com. I am so impressed by that. Let's take a minute to talk about that. Oh, thank you, Marianne. Yes. Uh, so medicalresearch.com uh, is a, uh, a a free website for uh, trying to help both the public and the professional audience uh, understand in the author's own words uh, why they did a very important uh, clinical research project that was actually um, uh, that's already come out in let's say the New England Journal or Nature or British Medical Journal, very top level journals, and why in their own words they did the research what they found, uh, were there any surprises, and what should be the next level of research uh, being done. So very easy to read. My wife mm -hmm. does, uh, does the uh, uh, interviews online, which are digital, and uh, over 12,000 uh, interviews that we've done uh, in cooperation with various uh, peer-reviewed journals. So Fantastic idea. So well done. It's about a three or four minute read per topic. And it makes you say, you know, you read an article that says, oh, aspirin is going to stop colon cancer. Well, we don't know that yet, but somebody's working on it. And this is why they think it might happen and that sort of thing. We're going to spend more time on that next week. I'm going to end the show by reminding our listeners that we will be very fortunate to welcome you back again next Saturday uh, to continue our discussion and talk about those who are in a later stage of kidney disease when you decide to direct them to have dialysis, different types, and possibly a kidney transplant. And I have to say before I leave, Bob, you talk about gold water is the focus of your attention, urine, and that's waste in your world. Waste in my world is a little more solid. And I'm thinking waste management company, Richie and Benz. What do you think? I literally think we could clean up. I love it. Uh, okay, you can be Benz and Richie. Okay. With that, have a great week, and we will see you when we see you. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Marianne. Wonderful. <laughs> now, your real champion, presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. And now for your real champion. I call this segment Mercy Hospice. 
comes to mind when you hear the word mercy? Forgiveness when a person in power like a judge is lenient to an offender? Or maybe it's as simple as showing kindness to a person in distress. During the 1970s in Philadelphia, there was a sharp rise in numbers of women experiencing homelessness because thousands were deinstitutionalized from psychiatric hospitals at that time. In response, Catholic Social Services of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia called on the Sisters of Mercy. Like other nuns, they take the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But in addition, these sisters take a fourth vow, service to the poor and sick. They saw the growing need to help women in distress, and since 1976, that vision has helped shape the spirit of Mercy Hospice. Originally, this short-term shelter was spaced for 15 women, which offered a two-week stay, but they quickly learned it takes more than that amount of time to get a woman back on her feet. In the 1990s, drug addiction and alcoholism were increasing among those experiencing homelessness, and Mercy Hospice eagerly responded and expanded to a larger home, offering a safe haven for homeless recovering from substance abuse. Both single women and mothers with children can now reside at Mercy, which can house up to 35 women and up to 10 children for as long as three months. Recently, I spoke with Renee Hudson-Small, Assistant Director of Housing and Homeless Services, a division of Catholic Social Services, where she has worked for over 28 years. During COVID, Renee worked at Mercy Hospice daily for two years. Listening to Renee describe her work brought tears to my eyes. During a COVID outbreak, the center had to close and the women were moved to individual housing in a hotel provided by the city of Philadelphia. One of the residents was especially fearful of being alone. It made Renee recognize the strong bonds among the residents with each other and with the staff and promised they would never leave her and they visited her every day. Mercy Hospice offers compassion, charity, and dignity to women who have experienced trauma on so many levels, from addiction to being disconnected from family. Most of us will never know the heartaches of homelessness, no shelter in the extreme heat of summer and the relentless cold of winter. Where will I get my next meal? How can I keep my children safe? This addiction is going to kill me. Renee and the Mercy staff say, we're patient with our residents and we remind them to be patient with themselves. We're here to give them a home while they're in recovery, while each woman works to become her best self. A community grounded in faith, mutual respect, and support where women in recovery and their families can heal, they grow to pursue new beginnings. Recently, the staff and residents attended their annual retreat at the Malvern Retreat House to focus on spiritual healing and forgiveness. The message, no matter how many mistakes we make, God will never leave us. And when the women feel that special love, they begin to heal, especially when they share the experience as a sisterhood. Mercy Hospice offers affordable housing along with counseling, parenting skills, job training, and budgeting, helping women on their way to self-sufficient and sober living. A few quotes from some of the residents include, I arrived at Mercy Hospice broken down mentally, physically, and spiritually. I was on parole. I had nowhere to turn. I've not only remained sober, I'm employed, attending college, and I have contact with the child I once abandoned for my addiction. My new life began at Mercy Hospice, and for that, I will be eternally grateful. 
Another woman was dealing with mental health issues, drug addiction, and homelessness and said, Mercy Hospital has been a kind and good place for me. They give me a reason to look forward to tomorrow. We salute you, Renee Hudson-Small, the staff of Mercy Hospice, including Director Cecilia Chambers, your real champions. Join the Mercy Hospice for their third annual recovery walk next Wednesday at 4 o'clock. That's September 21st at 4 o'clock. The walk starts at 334 South 13th Street and walks to Washington Square. Learn more at mercyhospicephilly.org. Volunteer, donate new baby clothes, canned goods, or whatever you can afford. Thank you for listening every Saturday. Listen to any of your radio doctor shows again on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Rothman Orthopedic Institute and Genentech. Join us next week for part two of The Kidney. At a special time, next Saturday, September 24, the show will air at 6 o'clock following the Penn State football game. That's 6 o'clock next Saturday evening, September 24. Support Mercy Hospice. Join their walk next Wednesday, September 21st at 4 o'clock. The center is at 334 South 13th Street. Learn more at mercyhospicephilly.org. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. Always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit IBXMedicare.com. Medicare.com/star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.